I do not believe that you can stand politically and honestly with integrity say that you stand for justice if you cannot stand for Palestine. And you cannot serve your God and God's people if you cannot stand for Palestine. So for me, that is the litmus test for what we are as people of faith. We saw the Sharpeville massacre in my lifetime. Archbishop Tutu and I preached in Utenaig in Langa Township after the police shot what, over 40 people. Um, they released only 27 bodies. Um, and so you've had that experience, but that is absolutely nothing if you compare it to what has been happening in Palestine over the last 75 years. Mm. Many people don't think about it. Mm. But if you think about Christians in Palestine, you've got to go back 2,000 years. Jesus was born in Galilee. That mm. was a province in occupied Palestine. Mm. Yes. Mm. In the first century, occupied by the Roman yes. Empire. Now today, occupied by the American Empire with Israel as its proxy. There are Christians who... Walking in the way of Jesus, as we say, emulating the life of Jesus, mm. are still part uh, of the struggle of Palestine. And they themselves don't say, oh, uh, there is a Muslim struggle and uh, here is a Christian struggle. Mm. And as a people, uh, a South African people, we are a, we are a proud people. Mm. We, are, we are a very resilient people. We are a faithful people. But the only way we can show that now is by not separating our continued struggle for justice and peace from the struggle for the life and the future of Palestine. In the name of God, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful, I welcome all of you and especially my very special guest today who I'm very honored to host for this podcast interview, Dr. Reverend Alan Busak. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's such an honor. You've been such an amazing inspiration to all of us who uh, would be activists. Uh, we're trying our best. So uh, we look forward to this uh, conversation today. Thank you. So uh, in case you don't know, you've been hiding somewhere. Uh, Dr. Reverend Alan Busak is a distinguished South African theologian, anti-apartheid activist and politician. He was born on February the 23rd, 1946. He's older than the Israel state. <laughs> in Kakamas, South Africa, he played a pivotal role in the struggle against apartheid, advocating for justice, equality, and human rights. Uh, Dr. Busak, an ordained minister in the Uniting Reformed Church in Southern Africa, became a prominent figure in the 1980s when I was born as a leader in the United Democratic Front, a coalition of anti-apartheid organizations. His activism and outspoken criticism of the oppressive regime led to his imprisonment in 1984. And in addition to his activism, Dr. Busak is known for his theological contributions, exploring the intersection of faith and social justice. He holds a PhD in theology from the Theological Seminary in Kampen, Netherlands. And after the apartheid uh, officially ended, Dr. Busak continued his commitment to social justice and reconciliation, serving in various roles, including as a member of parliament in post-apartheid South Africa and briefly served as the ANC representative in Western Cape Legislature. Dr. Busak continues to be a powerful voice in the Palestinian liberation struggle to which he has firmly committed himself. Dr. Alan Busak's life and work embody a profound dedication to the principles of justice, equality 
and human dignity. His legacy serves as an inspiration for those advocating for positive social change worldwide. And on that note, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Busak, for your powerful voice for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a privilege to be part of the struggle. I mm. mean, Palestine is, without a doubt, uh, the cutting-edge issue. Even better, I think, one would say it is the testing ground mm. uh, for the integrity of one's politics mm. and also for the authenticity of our faith. Mm. I do not believe that you can stand politically and honestly with integrity say that you stand for justice mm. if you cannot stand for Palestine. Mm. And you cannot serve your God and God's people if you cannot stand for Palestine. So for me, that is the litmus test for what we are as people of faith mm. and as intellectual beings. Mm. Mm. Now, thank you. It's, it's been fantastic following your work and your, your powerful addresses. Um, you know, this is one of the, the main reasons I, I was moved to, to get you onto this podcast and to ask you these questions is uh, you are a man of faith, you are a theologian, and you are also an activist. Um, so, you know, what is your response as a Christian theologian and activist to what is happening in Palestine? Oh, one is absolutely horrified. I mean, I, I have given up. Uh, in all of the many addresses that I have given or interviews to try and describe what it is mm. that I feel. Mm. Um, I mean, it's almost uh, intellectually one knows what a genocide is. Mm. Historically, we know as Africans, uh, there was the genocide of the San and the Khoi mm. in this country. Uh, there were terrible massacres in our clash with the European invaders uh, and the imperialists who came up to make South Africa a settler colony in the same mm. way mm. that Israel has made Palestine a settler colony. Mm. Um, we know from history the horrific reality of the Congo, mm. I mean, what between mm. 10 and 15 million Congolese mm. killed by King Leopold III, uh, so, so we know of the, the genocide of the Herero and the Ovambo people by the Germans in the 19th century. So intellectually, you know what it is. Mm. And during the 1980s, we've seen some horrific uh, experiences with, with, with violence. I mean, mm. uh, we saw the Sharpeville massacre in my lifetime. Archbishop Tutu and I preached in Utenaig in Langa Township after the police shot, what, over 40 people. Um, they released only 27 bodies. Mm -hmm. But I will never forget, I mean, sitting in that stadium and trying to preach with 27 coffins lined up mm. like that, and some of them the coffins of children. Mm. Um, and so you've had that experience, but that is absolutely nothing if you compare it to what has been happening in Palestine over the last 75 years. Mm. Um, and since 19, 2014, we thought, oh, this is about the worst that we have ever seen. Mm. And now we are in 2024 and, and there are really no words left. Mm. And in a sense, I think we should not try to describe or find words for what it is. Mm. Some people think 
the numbers are enough and they are absolutely stupefying. Mm. Um, but maybe the best that we can do is to remember the faces that we can, mm. the lives that were there, the, the sort of gaps in families and in the history of a whole people. And in a real sense, the gaps now in the history of the world. Mm. I mean, that's a topic on its own, thinking mm. of what the world is losing mm. and all of those young, bright Palestinian minds just gone, blown mm. to smoothering. So I, I mean, the horror is totally indescribable. And that is why the only way to relate to that is to absolutely do whatever we can. Mm. Um, as a government in this country, as a people especially, as a people especially who have this, what I call a sacred bond between South Africa and Palestine. Mm. It's not just a political pact. It's mm. not just some historical understanding. Exactly. It really is a sacred bond, promises mm. that we made while blood was being spilled, while people who were fighting a struggle for freedom themselves mm. made room for us mm. uh, and time for us and gave up something for us. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just so amazing in history. And so, so for me, you, you have to find just as many ways as you can to honor that. Mm. And if you honor that, you will honor the Palestinians, you will honor yourself, uh, you will honor humanity in general, but you will honor your relationship with God. Mm. This struggle is often seen, unfortunately so, as a Muslim struggle, as an Arab struggle. Tell us more about the presence of Christians in Palestine and their role in the resistance movement. Well, you know, uh, many people don't think about it. Mm. But if you think about Christians in Palestine, you've got to go back 2,000 years. Jesus was born in Galilee. That mm. was a province in occupied Palestine. Mm. Yes. Mm. In the first century, occupied by the Roman yes. Empire. Now today, occupied by the American Empire with Israel as its proxy. Mm. Sort of the sub-imperialist reality, mm. the intellectual people call it. Um, and, and Galilee is where Jesus grew up uh, amongst an oppressed people. Mm. That's where he announced his intention in his very first sermon in public. And what did he say? He said, I, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I have come to give good news to the poor and to uh, priest release to the captives and to liberate the oppression. So all of those things that one can identify is this is struggle talk. This is revolutionary talk. That's how Jesus introduced himself to the public of Palestine right. in that time. And that was his life. And so Jesus was seen as that kind of existential threat mm. to the Roman Empire, to the authorities in Jerusalem, the mm. elites who made common cause and collaborated with the, the Roman Empire uh, in the oppression of their own people. That was Jesus' life. And so when you talk about the participation of Christians in, in the resistance against empire, that's where you have to begin. Wow. Uh, and so today, uh, there are Christians who walking in the way of Jesus, as we say, emulating the life of Jesus mm. are still part uh, of the struggle of Palestine. And they themselves don't say, oh, uh, there is a Muslim struggle 
and uh, here is a Christian struggle. Mm, mm. They just see themselves as Palestinians. Yeah. And as Christian Palestinians and Muslim Palestinians, they have struggled together. And I have been so privileged to meet um, a great number of them over the years. And so their presence in the struggle today. So when when you hear the name Anan Ashravi, uh, very, very well-respected Palestinian politician and, 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 and diplomat, um, and you sit down and you talk with her, you know what it means. I mean, I, I connected with her immediately because being a Christian in South Africa in the time of apartheid, that was in, in the middle of the 1980s that we met, 86 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she talks about her struggle as a Christian, and, and, but she didn't make a difference between her struggle as a Christian and somebody else's struggle as a Muslim. I mean, I talked to her as somebody who was a Christian in South Africa, but some of my closest, closest allies and comrades were Muslims, Mm. uh, uh, Hassan Solomon, Mm. uh, Farid Esak, um, and that's how we made this connection. And so if people get, um, I think rightly so, got very excited in a good way about that stunning sermon of Reverend uh, Munter Isaac. Yes, I wanted to ask about that. Well, we can talk about Mm -hmm. that. But all I wanted to say is don't be surprised. Mm. He has simply taken up a legacy of Christian involvement in struggle in our times, Mm. in our times, trying to be a faithful follower Mm. of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely wonderful. You know, your insights... uh, it really, it really sheds light and we, we should be able to easily relate as South Africans because if we look back at our own struggle, we did not differentiate between whether this was a Muslim march or a Christian march or who are the people in front. It was a united struggle against an oppressive regime. Absolutely. And that's how we saw it. Absolutely. Well, there was never such a thing as a Muslim march and a Christian march. I mean, exactly. the, the very first march that I participated in was a march of everybody involved. Mm. Uh, the very first time that I actually went to prison mm. uh, with Farid and and with Hassan Solomon was a march where all of us uh, w- were together. We were not a large crowd on that day, mm. but still, I mean, we ended up in prison. We ended up uh, talking with one another. We ended up sharing a very important moment in which we asked the question, to each other sitting in that one jail cell in Weinberg. What is it that 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 made you come out today mm. to take this risk in the midst of everything that is happening, knowing what the police might do, knowing that you might be sent to prison, knowing not knowing whether you might be alive at mm. the end of the day, because that was the times in which we lived. What is it in your faith? And for me, I keep on saying, I've told the story just about a million times across the world, Mm. but I keep on saying that was a life-changing experience. And so um, there was never a question, just as today, the struggle for Palestinian freedom, the return to the land, the return of the land, dignity and justice and a future um, for for Palestinian people is not not a Muslim struggle. Mm. It's not even a Palestinian struggle. Mm. It's a human struggle. If mm. we don't do this for Palestine, I'm telling you, then the world truly has no future left. Mm. No, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. You know, one thing that has, has confused me and uh, it's kind of, it's, it's taken me a while to make sense of it in my own way. And I thought, you know, I need to speak to an authority within the Christian religion about this is this idea of some fundamentalist Christians 
in their support for Israel, believing that their support is an expression of what they believe that the Bible says. Like, how does one make sense of that in light of the fact that you have such committed Christians such as yourself uh, who are certainly not following that same view? There is no, there is no sense in it. Christian Zionism is a, is a Christian version of Jewish Zionism. And just as Jewish Zionism is not any kind of expression of Judaism, mm. it's got nothing to do with the religion. Mm. So Christian Zionism is a political ideology mm. that has got nothing to do with the religion of Jesus or mm. with the faith of Jesus or with the commitment of Jesus or with the life of Jesus. I mean, I think of, of what those people stand for. I think of what they propagate. Um, and and it is it is it is so opposite mm. to what the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth were. Um, so in our circles, uh, in and it's it's like it's like the Christian version, if you can put it that way, or the Christian perversion mm. of apartheid, calling itself a Christian mm. uh, a system, uh, basing itself on the Bible. But it's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. I mm. mean, you can grab a, a, a verse or something here and there, take it in isolation and totally distort it. But you can't call it biblical. You can't call it faithful to God. You can't call it faithful to the biblical tradition. And you can't, they can't call it faithful to the Christian tradition mm. as Jesus expounded it. Mm. And so we called apartheid a heresy. Mm. Uh, and the Christian churches across the world endorse that decision. And at the moment, um, that is what uh, Christians in our circles are trying to do. Say Christian Zionism, this racist, supremacist, imperialist, uh, really fascist expression of what they call Christianity. has got nothing to do with Christianity. It's got nothing to do with the life of Christ. It is a heresy. Mm. Um, and, and it should be exposed as such. And I think that the day is coming, mm. just as people in politics in the Western world find themselves more and more unable to identify with the political choices of their political leaders like Mr. Biden. Mm. So ordinary people in the street by the millions are now calling Joe Biden genocide Joe. Mm. Mm. And that is to put as much distance as possible between them and what they believe their politics ought to be and the politics of their leaders. Right. And, 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 and that is what is happening religiously as well. Mm. And so I think... I think, but this is one thing that we could come together. I mean, when I came back in 80, 1982 from the World Alliance of Reformed Churches where we had just declared apartheid a heresy mm. and a false gospel and a blasphemy. Um, and my Muslim friends, Dala and all those people said, you got to come and explain to the Muslim community what that means. Because even then we knew mm. this was not a Christian victory. Mm. No. Mm. It's not as if we went there as Christians. I went there and I spoke as representative of South Africa's people. Right. And so I asked them, so what is the term for heresy mm. when, you, when you talk to people? in the Muslim community, and they told me, haram. <laughs> so I, in the Shamat Center, I remember when we, and I, and I spoke that day, we built up, we built up, we built up until the point when I said, apartheid is haram, and the roof <laughs> went up. I mean, it's moments like that. Yes. That sealed the fact that this is, this you're fighting a government that pretends to be Christian, mm. 
quotes the Bible, mm. but it is exposed as being the opposite of that. It's exposed mm. as being blasphemous. And I mean, I could then tell white people, you dare not mm. take the name of Jesus into your mouth while you're doing this. Mm. And so um, this is what we are saying. And we're not doing it because Muslims whispered into our ears, mm. you must say that. We're mm. doing it because we are all God's children. Mm. And in a very, very, very real sense, the, the, the bonds that tie us together uh, as people of faith um, make that we have no actual other choice, really. Mm. Mm. Um, but this will, be, this will be a voice that comes out together, as Muslims will say, to those people um, in the Christian Zionist community, and we will say to those people, "This is this is just heretical. Mm. It is wrong." Uh, and I and I so so we must not make the mistake of conflating Zionism as a political ideology that came up towards the end of the nineteenth century, mm. eighteen ninety eight or somewhere around there, I think. Um, with the religion of of, of the Jews, mm. uh, that's much older, mm. uh, and we must not allow the fact that Netanyahu, who, who is not even a believer, mm. the man is an atheist, mm. um, thinks that he can grab one text from the Bible out of the book of Samuel uh, about the, the, the killing of Amalek mm. and say that is what God wants. Mm. Um, it means that he doesn't even understand that you have to put that text in a larger context of traditions and that there are strong traditions in the Bible that is exactly opposite to that. Mm. And so it's, 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 it's that kind of thing. It is that willful, wrong interpretation, that politicization of God and God's word that is the blasphemy here that we're talking mm, about. Mm, mm. No, that's, uh, that's profound. And I think he's speaking to to some of these fundamentalists and, you know, playing to the emotions because they, they, they seem to be very much uh, supportive of this uh, genocide. And you know what the funny thing is? Mm. Well, maybe not funny, but the, but, the, but, the, but the bitter, bitter, deep irony is they believe that the state of Israel is an expression of a prophecy, uh, and and the state of Israel guarantees sort of the coming of Christ. Mm. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the state of Israel has to be established in order to guarantee or to bring forward the second coming of Christ. Mm. Nowhere mm. does it say that. Uh, nowhere does it. And, and in that vision, if you listen to their preachers, mm. they're actually— Two things happen to the Jews. Mm -hmm. The state of Israel must be established, but two things will happen to the Jews. Either they must be killed or they must convert to Christianity. Mm -hmm. Now, how can you <laughs> say to people, I'm supporting you mm -hmm. so that I can kill you so that the thousand-year reign of Christ mm -hmm. can, can, can become a reality? Mm -hmm. um, um, I mean, it is so nonsensical. Mm -hmm. It is so illogical. But, but again— It's sick in a way. Well, that's the point. Mm. That's the point. And so it's it's um, for 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 Jews to actually grab onto, and it's not. I mean, I think Jews themselves, in general, must be sickened when they understand that. Mm, mm. But they do this because it it supports a political reality right. for the moment right. that they think 
holds the guarantee for the future mm. but it's exactly the other way around mm, no it's it's uh, it's amazing it's really this is why i, I wanted to engage you know a someone who was really an authority within the Christian religion because it's so confusing that that this is happening i mean uh, for 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 people to believe that the same israel that was started as a political movement by atheists you know so called secular jews yeah. is the same israel of the bible i mean how do they so <laughs> no no i mean even if you read the story of the of 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 the exodus correctly mm. um there are there are i've written a book about it a few years ago i said there are two major traditions about the exodus the one tradition is what they call the mosaic tradition so built on the tradition that puts moses in the center that's the tradition that leads up through exodus and exodus 17 especially where moses prays and says to god these are your people these are your we are your exclusive people mm. there's nobody else like us in the world mm. and then that leads to the book of joshua where especially in joshua 6 uh there is this description of god saying to joshua go in there and kill all the inhabitants of the land and mm. take whatever you want because i have given this land to you that's the one tradition mm. and then there's a tradition that is based on uh what the bible identifies as the the sister of 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 moses that's miriam that has a totally different tradition mm. that's a tradition with no violence at all mm. that's a tradition that is the freedom of the slaves out of egypt but not I mean it, the slaves the slaves were put it ordinarily a mixed bunch not just hebrews all sorts of other people they were all liberated they were all taken out of bondage all taken into this new possibility an open land and 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 this this that story ends up in a far more free very peaceful integration like mm. the the aborigines people here mm. um the 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 the, the original Palestinians saw these people they invited them they gave them hospitality they mm. fed them they intermarried with them they made them part of their community and that's what you find in the book of judges the very first chapter of judges the very first verse of judges begins with a verse that there were all these original Canaanites in the land of Canaan the Palestinians mm. and Israel had not killed all of them mm. so which tradition is the right tradition mm. but if you follow the logic of the bible a god that says no one shall take up a sword against other there will be peace from sea to sea and all of that stuff that is the god and that's a tradition in our view that that sort of flows out into the life and the prophecy and the work of jesus of nazareth and that's the tradition we follow and that is that is that is that is the diametrically opposed one to the tradition that says god has exclusively chosen one people rejected everybody else everybody else could be murdered with their children and their land could be stolen because that's also the tradition that white people here mm. took on called themselves the chosen people of god and is always these white people <laughs> who, who 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 do this you've mm. got to be clear about mm. that um uh, because is there white god but mm. there's no such thing in the mm. bible as a white god and so this blonde blue eyed jesus that the europeans gave us in pictures and uh, i mean that man did not exist mm. that man he looked more like you and me he's a fictional that. character that Absolutely. they create mm. it's really profound to hear these insights from you uh, dr busak so you know in in light of what you said can you perhaps speak about the distinction so we are very clear 
between Judaism and Zionism, as you mentioned, you find that there's this weaponization of anti-Semitism now. At the moment you speak out against Israel, you are now deemed anti-Semitic. Um, what, do you, what do you make of well, this? Well, Judaism, so the religion of ancient Israel, is a religion that finds its origin in a God who is a God of freedom and justice. Mm. I mean, uh, the book Isaiah, Christians believe, uh, leads up um, to chapter 61 where Jesus, when he speaks for the first time in the synagogue mm. in Nazareth, takes up a few verses from that chapter. Mm. The verses that I quoted in the beginning, I have come to bring freedom to the oppressed and so forth and so forth. Mm. But if you read the book of Isaiah, from the very first chapter, it's almost, it's pure poetry, all about justice, all about justice. I mean, God is nothing if not a God of justice. Now that's the deepest root. Now if you take that deepest root, and mm. if, if, if you say that the Exodus is the beginning of Judaism as we know it, mm. the oldest extant piece of the Bible that we know that exists is Exodus 15. Mm. And Exodus 15 is a song of Miriam that praises God as the, as the God, as a deliverer from slavery, from oppression, and as the bringer of freedom and justice. That's, that's Exodus 15. Mm. Now, that's the oldest, that's the first confession that mm. ancient Israel makes about their God. Mm. How does that God become the God of Netanyahu? Mm. and of Zionism. Mm. It's a totally, totally different phenomenon. It's got nothing to do with that faith. And that is why they need falsifications and they need fig leaves like anti-Semitism. Now, that is in itself um, such an illogical thing mm. because who were the ones who showed anti-Semitism to Jews in the modern era? Mm. Well, let me go back. Who were the ones who showed absolute hospitality and acceptance to Jews everywhere they went? Mm. People like us. Mm. It's, the, it's, 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 the, it's the people in Turkey. It's the people, the Moors in Spain, mm. all for hundreds of years. Yes. At the same situation in Palestine. Mm. Um, it is when European Supre white supremacism and racism comes into play mm. that the Jews are being isolated and excluded mm. and, 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 and persecuted and finally genocided. But that was done by white people. Yes. Nothing to do with us. Yes. There's not a single Palestinian who was involved in a single act of anti-Semitism that gave rise to the term anti-Semitism. Mm. That's all European. Mm. That's all American. Mm. That's all. That's a white Western mm. thing. Mm. Um, and, 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 and of course, that they use that, their own sins, their own guilt to condone the slaughter of Palestinians mm. who had nothing to do with that. Mm. I mean, that is not just a historical distortion. That is such a grave sin against humanity Absolutely. and against God. Mm. I, I'm one of those people who believe that when you do such a thing, if God is truly a God of justice, there will be a day of judgment. Exactly. And I'm beginning to see that happen. I mean, why is the powerful, powerful, powerful American empire crumbling mm. in all sorts of ways. Mm. Why is Europe 
um, given a period where literally the stupidest people on the face of the earth have become their political leaders. Mm, mm. Um, you cannot make head or tail of the logic of their policies because there is none. Mm. So why, I mean, it's already that you can see what, what we have become known as Western imperialistic power, mm. that's dissipating. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's crumbling. Mm. Uh, well, it will still do a lot of damage as it is crumbling, but, but, but there is a day of reckoning coming. Mm. I know that as a person of faith, but also as a simple reader of history. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, every empire must fall, every wall will fall. As a theologian and activist, how do you see, the, I mean, you've commented on this sporadically throughout your, your address here today, but how do you see the intersection between faith, justice, and the Palestinian mm-hmm. cause, and what role can religious communities play in advocating for the rights and dignity of Palestinians? Well, the God that we serve is without question a God of justice. Um, when you read the Quran, when you read uh, the Bible, uh, to say that God is merciful, to say that God is compassionate, mm. is just a different way to say that God is a God of justice. Mm. And it calls us to justice. I mean, I um, I have this, 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 this story um, that everybody has heard uh, between myself and Hassan Solomons. Uh, the day when we had that march and we were um, arrested on the Guguletu Bridge. Right. Um, we were marching arm in arm, and I was holding my Bible in my right hand, and because his right hand was hooked into my left hand, he had his Quran in his left hand. and I didn't notice that. Uh, so years later, when he was on his deathbed, and I went to visit him, we talked about this. You know how it is. You talk about the old mm. days. And he then, for the first time, told me that there were some people in the Muslim community who were very angry with him for carrying his Quran in the wrong hand. Mm, mm. And I said, what did you say? I mean, I, n- I never heard that. Well, well, it was years later. Mm. I never heard that. Which shows you that he never tells these things to draw attention to right, himself. Right. He said to me, I said to them, you know what? When I appear before Allah one day, Allah will not ask me in which hand did I carry my Quran. Allah will ask me, what did you do for justice? Sure. Now, I mean, I still get emotional when I think of that, mm. but that is the core of our faith, Absolutely. my brother. And so that is what binds us together. When Jesus appears, that all he talks about is justice for God's people, mm. dignity and freedom, and for standing up for the poor and the oppressed. No one is excluded. Um, when, when, when the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, begins to speak, that's what he talks about. Mm. I mean, this is a man who comes from uh, not the rich families, Mm-mm. but he brings those forgotten and excluded people right into the center of God's love and mercy and grace. I mean, what, what? I mean, that is the religion that we have. Mm. And so, when you have that as your religion and when you prostrate yourself before that God, what else can you do mm. but give your life uh, for the sake of justice and for the sake of others? And that is what 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 keeps me going. So I, I, I say, people sometimes say to me, we listen to you speak and we're never sure where does the political speech end and where does the sermon begin? <laughs> right, 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 right. 
And I don't mind them being confused, mm. and I don't, I don't try to make a distinction between the two because mm. I speak politics, but before I know it, I talk about my faith because mm. my faith tells me that politics ought to be the politics of justice and the mm. politics of peace and mm. the politics of integrity and honesty and decency and courage and virtue. And if, 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 if that is, I mean, if politicians, if only half the politicians that we have in this country and in the world would be like that. Mm. I mean, 90% of our problems would not exist. Oh, how true that is. Yeah. Sure, that's so true. Oh man, it's so inspirational to, to hear these perspectives uh, from yourself, Dr. Reverend Alan Busak. What do you think of the several human rights organizations which have now categorized Israel as an apartheid state officially? And how can we draw parallels between the South African apartheid movement, in which you played a crucial role, and thank you for that, and the Palestinian liberation struggle? What lessons can be learned from the successes and challenges of both movements? Oh, that's a long that's one. A very that's long a very one. deep one. <laughs> we have always known, black South Africans have always understood mm. um, what was going on mm. in Israel and the Palestinians. Mm. Um from 1948 onwards, there's no coincidence. Uh, the birth of the National Party and the birth of, not the birth of the National Party, the birth of the apartheid state mm. under the National Party in 1948 and the birth of the State of Israel in 1948. Mm. And there is no co coincidence that even though the Afrikaners were basically anti-Semitic, mm. um, they saw enough uh, that bound them together right. in their thinking, in their ideology, in their intent, mm. their political intent. I mean, settler colonialism as their political intent from the very beginning mm. fitted so nicely mm. with one another. And that's why they helped one another. And that's why they worked together um, so well. Um, and 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 so we, we, we have learned those lessons, even though I keep on saying that I've been saying this for a very long time. Apartheid was um, was really hell on earth. That is true. Mm, mm. But South Africans must be honest enough to say that nothing white people in South Africa could think of to make us suffer and to humiliate us and to cause us pain and to rob us of our humanity and our rights and our dignity. Nothing comes close mm. to what Israel has been doing to Palestinians for 75 years now. Mm. Um, and we have to admit that. And it's only when we admit that, then we begin to realize our responsibility. Um, and that we begin to realize why it is that Palestinians, when they turn to the world, for sustenance and for support and for encouragement, they turn first to us. Mm. And so we can't, for the sake of our own selves and our own history, we can't, we can't then turn away. Of course. So, 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 so we see the parallels, but we also understand uh, that this is, not, this is not the same. This is so much, this is so much worse mm. than, than we have experienced. And so in gratitude to God, that we did not have bombings every single day. Mm. That for somehow God has saved us mercifully from a total genocide mm. in the 50 years of apartheid. Why has God done that? So that we could be alive today mm. to do what we can for Palestine. 
So that when Palestinians talk about genocide, it's South Africa who knows Mm. what that means. Not so much America, although black Americans know what that means. Native Americans know Mm. what that means. Mm. But South Africans are the closest um, to that experience in in Palestinian Mm. eyes. Mm. And so for us to, 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 to be able to do that and so to do whatever we can, um, and and this thing before the the ICC today is 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 a, is a wonderful thing, and it really is a setting an example. And I'm very grateful for the many many countries. What is it now? Fifty eight, fifty nine countries who have joined us mm. in that thing. Uh, we must always remember as South African government. And as a South African people, we have an historic obligation that that compels us to do more than that. Mm. I mean, we can't, this is a thing that we've done, but it's almost as if we are putting it in the hands of others. Mm. Now we've done this. It's in the hands of the court. Mm. It's in the hands of the lawyers who argue. Mm. It's in the hands of the legal experts who will argue point by little point by little point of which I understand nothing mm. Mm. Uh, over the next few months. They may or may not say issue a, a declaration for Israel to to do a ceasefire right now to mm. stop the war. Mm. Mm. They are they, they have it in their power. What will they? I don't know. Mm. Um, will Netanyahu even listen? Mm. I don't think so. I don't know. Will Biden? Even support it? I don't know. Well, I do know that Biden is supporting the genocide mm. up till this day in mm. everything that he is doing because they're all talking about the day after Gaza, right. the day beyond Hamas. Mm. And what they really mean by that is not just a new political configuration and a new occupation, if you believe Minister Smotrich in Mm. Netanyahu's Mm. cabinet, but they're actually talking about a configuration of the economic situation in that part of the Middle East because they all have their eye on the gas reserves and on the oil reserve on the north coast of Gaza. Mm. But what stands in their way is not plans or nature or anything. What stands in their way are the Palestinians. Mm. And if you think <laughs> if you think about that, we can be so much more wealthy. We can have so much more money. All those oil companies who have already signed contracts, mm. including Rishi Sunak's of Britain's father-in-law, he's already got a contract, that man. So his his son-in-law, the prime minister, will never call for a ceasefire until his dad's contract begins to deliver money. Think about it in that way. Mm. So if you think about the worth of money and the greed over against the lives of Palestinian children, Mm. then you know what kind of people we're dealing with. And so for me, that is an argument to say we must not in any event leave everything up to them. We must do whatever we can. And so we must look for every single way in which we can put, continue to put pressure uh, on our government mm. to put pressure mm. on the Israeli government mm. to, to get the ceasefire right now. And we must say to Mr. Ramaphosa, stop talking about this two-state solution because you know it's nonsense. Mm. Or if you don't know it, let's sit down and let me talk about it because then we can tell you. Palestinians do not want that because mm. practically... What are we actually talking about? We must begin to shift the conversation away from 
post-imperialistic plans mm. and post-neocolonialist plans that they are really talking about to the only future for everyone. And that is what Palestinians want, one single democratic open state with guarantees for human rights for everybody. Mm. And that's what we mean when we say from the river to the sea. If, 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 that is, if justice scares them, well, so let it scare them. Mm. And if freedom scares them, well, let them be afraid. Mm. And if peace scares them, then let them be afraid of peace. But we will fight until that becomes a reality. That is the way I look at it. If, and I, you know what? I'm so grateful to God about that. There's still so much that we have to fight for in our country. In your question somewhere, there was what lessons can we learn? Mm -hmm. This is one of the lessons. While we were fighting for an open, democratic social democratic society while we were fighting for an egalitarian society leaders of the african national congress were behind closed doors making secret deals with the old white capitalist establishment mm. palestinians must not make that mistake mm. don't put your hands your fate in the hands of leaders that you cannot completely trust right now we thought we could trust them because they were our anc but look where they brought us now. Mm. So we have the lessons of apartheid, we have the lessons of colonialism, we have the lessons of imperialism, but we also have the lessons of post-1994 mm. to share with our Palestinian sisters and brothers and say, watch out, guys. Mm. Don't make the mistake that we made. In other words, keep on being the force that gives direction to the political discourse, not only of what happens during the war, but what happens after the war. Mm. Wow. I feel like jumping up and saying, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Busak, what are your thoughts on South Africa's general response? You've already commented, which was one of the questions, about the, you know, the ICJ and the case of genocide against Israel. And I feel so proud to be South African at this moment yes, in time. Yes, sir. You know, I, I, I wasn't <laughs> as proud as this for any of the World Cups or anything of that sort. No. But this has really uh, given us a source of pride that we can hold dear. Um, now, just taking a step back, not even to the 7th of October, but, but before that, just your brief comments on South Africa's general response <clears throat> to the ongoing Palestinian struggle, especially though since the 7th of October, and, and, and how significant has it been? Well, the South African government's response has been a disappointment. Mm. Um, they have known from the very beginning, from the first co collaboration between the African National Congress in exile and, uh, and the Palestinian Liberation Organization in those days, mm. they, they have known what the struggle is all about. Um, Mandela did not reveal anything new to mm. us mm. when he reminded us that we will not be completely free until Palestine is completely free. So mm. that was just a reminder. Right. Um, I was in Lebanon in Shatia camp in 1987 um, and spent, spent, spent two days there talking with people. And my very last day was they took us to an older lady. And I will never forget, I mean, in this humble little home and there in the corner was those kisses that our people used to mm -hmm, have where you mm -hmm. put your treasures in. Right, right. And she opened it and she took out a clean linen cloth and she took out those small little cups and, and she gave us coffee. And, we, and there was an interpreter, the young woman's name was Dinah. And um, she asked, uh, and Dinah explained to her who I was. 
And she says, so you're in that struggle? I said, yes. They say, and you know that we are in the struggle? I said, yes, I do. That's why I'm here. And she says, now, when you go back to your struggle, promise me that you won't forget us. Mm. Now, I intend to keep that promise. Now, if I know that, why doesn't the South African government's leadership know that? And why don't they feel the same connection politically and emotionally? I feel a religious connection because I think through my faith, mm. <clears throat> they don't, but you don't, you don't have to say, oh, I'm waiting for God to tell me this. You can see with your own eyes mm. what is happening. So I'm very disappointed. So we had to fight with the South African government mm. to do something. We asked them to close down the embassy. They still haven't done so. Mm. We asked them to support BDS. They still haven't done so. We asked them to stop the ships um, uh, coming to South African sport, dealing with, uh, we asked them to stop uh, the arms trade with Israel. We asked them to cut all uh, ties, um, uh, trade and, and business ties. <clears throat> but I suspect it's because the president and his family have business ties with Zionist Israel mm. that it's that one is so hard. Mm. But it doesn't matter. You're not the president of your family. You're mm. the president of South Africa. Absolutely. So, and so you represent what this country stands for. Mm. Um, and so, so that's my fight with the South African government, and that's all our fight with mm. the South African government. And so uh, I, am, I am as proud as you are mm. that they have done this thing because it has fundamentally changed the course of the discourse mm. um, in the world. Mm. It is calling people to account in a way that hasn't happened before, and I'm very proud that, mm. they, that mm. they did that. But I'm also very proud of the fact that that is a victory for the South African people. Mm. I mean, we have been in the streets for weeks, mm. 10,000 people in yes. Cape Town, then almost 200,000 people in Cape Town, mm. marches all across the country, demand upon demand and pickets. And so they had to respond. They've had so many prayer meetings, prayer gatherings. They had to respond. Of course. They had to respond. Mm. And so, uh, so I keep on telling people, you must take that as mm. encouragement. Mm. This is what you can do. Mm. So I'm hoping that we will not stop that. We will mm. continue um, to do that every opportunity that we get. Um, because, as I said, South Africa's historic obligation mm. um, makes that imperative for us as a people and for us <clears throat> as a government. And I'm hoping that after the elections, um, we will not have a problem mm. on that particular issue. Mm. Yeah, to no, put absolutely. it mildly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And as long as we, we call these political parties to to you know to account, uh, I think we we will we will continue to side uh, with justice uh, throughout. I mean, the, the responses that some of these political parties have had, especially the DA, uh, has been atrocious. You know, in in terms yeah. of the this the blatant support for oppression. I mean, I mean the DA. The DA has been trying to hide his racism for a long time mm. <clears throat> behind fancy words like meritocracy. Mm. But they know that they're using it out of historic and political and economic context. Mm. Um, and then it just comes down to re-privileging white people. They know that. Mm. Um, but our people did not understand that very well um, because all the DA 
had to do was to say, look how bad the ANC is and look how good we are mm. in all of these other technical things. And mm. even that is not true mm. because if they call Cape Town the best run city in the world, it's only when you live in Constantia and in Bishop's Court mm. and in those fancy mm. white areas. It's not true for the townships. Absolutely. Um, but Palestine has blown the cover off all oh, of that. I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I talked the other day and the title of my address was The Gift of Gaza. Sure. And one of the things that Gaza has gifted us is to open our eyes to these political realities. The DA can no longer hide behind that. And if they are still of our people mm. who vote DA, I mean, then I must question. Then you are of the sort that wished that apartheid would never disappear. Mm. On the other hand, if they say to me, yeah, but you give us an alternative, then I'll have to say, all right. I am not yet sure what that alternative is. We hope, God willing, uh, that between now and, and, and the elections, there will emerge the kind of alternative that will have at least some of these major, major issues that are of concern to the people and that reflects our history and our dignity and our nobility as a people, mm. because all of that is gone. Mm. All of that is gone. Mm. Um, then we can say to them, there's no reason for you to vote for a political party that I have called the most successful new colonialist supremacist uh, experiment on the continent. Mm. That's what the DA is. Mm. Absolutely. And you can't be on that side. Oh, definitely not. You know, it's interesting <coughs> that you made this comment. I've said almost exactly <coughs> the same thing. People well, are going to say we've collaborated on this. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was listening to one of the scholars, Islamic scholars, just last night. He made a comment about one of the most tragic <coughs> um, one of the most tragic incidents uh, in, in the life of Prophet Muhammad and his companions, uh, the Battle of Uhud. And then in, in relation to that, God actually says one of the reasons for this is so that the hypocrites can be made known. Yes. You know, yeah. and and as 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 cruel and as brutal as the genocide is in Gaza, we still you know thank them for making the hypocrites known. Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it is a it, it is a telling commentary um, on on the world and on us that it should take something like this mm. to open the eyes of people to what is happening. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, um, but I mean, sometimes uh, this is the way life life unfolds. Mm. And so while, while keeping in mind and honoring those who have been slaughtered, um, we keep their honor, but our honor will be greater in making sure that this never happens again. Mm. Um, and that the lives of those Palestinian children who survive this, that their lives are secure. Mm. And so we must not get so caught up in what has happened that we lose sight of what still needs to happen in order to secure justice mm. and peace for Palestine. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to thank you for your faith, for your activism, for your strong voice. I hope to be as powerful and as strong as you when, when, when I reach that point in my career. <laughs> you mean how old I am? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's do, all right. Do you have any closing remarks that you'd like to share before we conclude? No, just uh, just just to say that um, everything that we do uh, for Palestine is a an amazing privilege given to us, not just by history but by God. In a time such as this, there is a reason. Mm why we are alive at a time such as this. Mm. It was a Muslim woman who said to me in a conversation a few months ago, you got to think about it, Doc. All of your comrades, all of your colleagues who fought with you in the struggle, where are they now? Mm. They're all gone, they've passed on, mm. or they are ill. And look at you, God has given you health, God has given you energy, and there must be a reason <laughs> for that mm. and so I, my life is to discover not only the reason why god still kept me uh, in the way that i am today but but that the reason is to discover still what god wants me to do wow um, and so uh, and as a people uh a south african people we are a we are a proud people mm. we are we are a very resilient people. We are a faithful people. But the only way we can show that now is by not separating our continued struggle for justice and peace from the struggle for the life and the future of Palestine. And if we can keep these two things together, future will look back and history will recognize what South Africa's people really were at this particular time in history. And I hope that we can make that come true. Dr. Alan Busak, Reverend Dr. Alan Busak, thank you so much for your time and for your contribution. And I bid you farewell until we meet again. Thank you. God bless you. Everyone who listens to our conversation. Thank you to all our listeners, thank you for joining us. Assalamu alaikum.